we kind of magically. This meeting is being recorded. <laughs> um, hi, guys. Welcome back to the Race Day Coasting podcast. I'm your host, Ray, joined by my co-host, Cubby. And then we have our special guest, Miss Lenora Edwards. We are so excited to have her. She's a speech therapist, but I don't want to steal her thunder. I'm going to let her introduce herself. You, you are absolutely spectacular. It is so nice to be back here with you, Ray and Covey, and the others that are visiting with us. Um, my name is Lenora Edwards. I am a board-certified speech-language pathologist with Better Speech, and I am happy to be here to answer as many questions as you would like today and to share whatever knowledge and information I can. Um, Better Speech is an online speech an online speech therapy company and we are able to provide speech therapy services throughout the U.S. There are over 150 speech language pathologists on our team and we are also international so it's pretty cool and we've been online since long before the pandemic. Awesome because we do have listeners who are international as well as domestic so I thought this would just be a great intro because Ms. Edwards is our first official guest which is so crazy so amazing. Um I think one of the very first questions I had for you is what made you passionate about speech? Oh, what made me passionate about speech? I have always loved to talk and I've always <laughs> loved to help people and to be of service. And I actually started out in nursing and I love, love nurses and I love the medical field. And it just was not my space for me. So I actually... Um, I was two years into a nursing program and then I decided to change careers and I went over to the communication sciences or communication sciences and disorders department at my university and I absolutely loved it and I went on to my master's from there. Can we wait? Yeah. Um, that's so interesting that you said you um, were on the path to be a nurse because I was too at one point. Um, I went to be a baby nurse and then I just decided, you know, the only word I understood was mitochondria. And then that was the powerhouse of the cell. And I was like, nothing else is sticking. That's not what I need to do. Let's switch gears. And then I ended up doing communications. So that's just very interesting. I think that's where we click. We meshed. <laughs> Completely. We love to we love to converse and, and to share our knowledge and our information. Absolutely. So have you worked with infants, toddlers, high schoolers, elderly, adults? What's your range? Awesome question. So with Better Speech, we are actually all board certified speech language pathologist. Adding to that, we all have at least 10 years of experience in the field before we can even work with a company. So for me specifically, I have a very um, extended career and I worked in the NICU. I've worked in the PICU. So neonatal intensive care unit, pediatric intensive care unit. I've worked in the adult intensive care unit at a trauma one hospital. I've done, um, I've worked in schools and skilled nursing facilities inpatient and outpatient facilities. So I am, I'm very proud of the variety of places and spaces that I have been so, so humbly to be a part of and had the opportunity to be educated by amazing teachers and mentors and, and other therapists and other doctors. And it's, it's pretty awesome how wide our field is. No, that is awesome. So Cubby started speech therapy when he was 18 months. 
and we noticed him not um, communicating in the way that we're used to verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to a parent who is noticing delays in speech for their child, but they're not sure if it's just the child not wanting to talk or if there's actually some sort of um, physical reason as to why, or there's actually a, a social or mental delay that's causing that. That is that's phenomenal like question. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good because it's so important. There are a variety. T- so we are actually born. I'm going to start way at the very beginning. We are born with the ability to understand language. Now, that being said, there must be language input for us to actually make cohesive sense of this information. And oftentimes when people tell me that they're they're expecting, I'm like, great, start talking because they can hear us. Babies can hear us when they're in the womb. And they once they come out into this glorious day, glorious world and that blessed day that they're born, they're still gaining more and more information. And that's a great thing. They're growing right from the very, very beginning. When it comes to language development, language starts at the beginning. So they're hearing all this information and we call that the receptive component of language when we can actually understand language. Now, if there's an auditory component that isn't functioning, that's we're going to leave that on the side for now. We'll put a little pin into it and we'll come back. Ideally with our ears, we're hearing information It's coming in and we're working to understand it right at the very beginning. We're working to understand tone. We're working to understand facial expression. We're working to understand language. It's all, all comes together and it all starts at the beginning. Now, when your language development starts in a little one, that's where it starts in that understanding component, that receptive language. This includes following directions, understanding that a question was being asked. Those are the types of information that we're talking about when it comes to receptive. Then the expressive language. Everything that I'm doing right now is the expressive component of language. Now, this is the verbal expression. There is other expressions. Gesturing, literally going over to take your hand and they're they're like, come here. That's an expression of language, but it's just not the verbal expression. And it's really important as little ones are developing to communicate with your your physicians and to really follow the guidelines of what language development looks like. Like they will offer you guidelines. And when they offer you guidelines, that's what it is. It's a guideline. It's not by law. It is simply, this is the window that we typically see this. And if you're having concerns, child, I don't think he's understanding me. I don't think he's hearing me. I'm calling his name. They're not turning to me. They're not pointing out pictures when I'm saying, oh, which one's the fish as they start to really understand things. Um, if you have concerns in those, in those parental internal instincts that come up, those guardian instincts that come up going, something's not right. I always encourage people to listen to their instincts. Use the, use the guidelines as a guide. Also listen to your instincts and people in, in, our best nature. When we go and we share share a story with somebody, we're like, "I think something's wrong." They may inter- may want to be like, "No, you're fine. There, your child's fine. Your child's fine." Especially if you're talking to a friend or a loved one, and they might not see what you see. So, yeah. if you are having those instincts go off and you're questioning stuff, especially at two a.m., reach <laughs> out to professionals because the worst case scenario is that a professional is going to say. You guys are doing great. Don't worry about it. 
That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, you know what? You, you had great instincts. I'm so glad that you came and started to talk to us because this is what I'm seeing. And it helps because people who think that they might've been crazy because their instinct is going off and nobody else is noticing it are actually then understood and going, oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now I have more direction and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting that you brought that up. So before, um, I was able to get cubby diagnosed, we talked about before I would see different things and I was like, something is different. And, you know, people are like, Oh, you just want something to be wrong. You're, you're just seeing things. And, um, they were really concerned with his hearing. And I was like, no, he can hear. He's phenomenal at ignoring, but he can hear. You could play the Coco Melon theme song from across the house and he would hear it in <laughs> the line, right? And I was like, there's nothing wrong with his hearing. He's just very selective. Mm-hmm. And um, we did the sedated hearing test and all these different things. And it was not until a, a nurse practitioner at the ENT office, the pediatric ENT, was like, hey, I wanna ask you um, a few questions and I don't want you to be offended. In my gut, I already knew what she was going to say. And she was like, have you ever thought about getting him tested for autism? That was her seeing him for, I want to say, two minutes running around in the little waiting room. Mm-hmm. And she was right. And so just that validation to somebody else seeing like, mm-hmm. you're not crazy. What you're feeling is accurate is just everything. So I love that you are letting other parents know, just not from a parent to parent standpoint, but from a a professional to a parent, Mm -hmm. trust your gut. (laughs) Completely, completely trust your gut. So also, so think about when you, um, so with better speech, because we are online and and I mentioned at 2 a.m. So a couple of things, if you roll over at 2 a.m. and you have questions, that's a great thing. I caution people to be careful what they Google at 2 a.m. Now that being said, with better speech, we are an online company and you can actually speak with a 15, for 15 minutes at free, no problem, no questions asked. Speak with a board certified speech language pathologist. Now, in some cases, if you roll over and you have questions at 2 a.m., obviously better speech will get back to you at the next, next business day. But my point is, if you reach out to an outpatient clinic, they'll go, okay, great, we'll put you on in six months and then you can speak with a clinician at that point. And although that is great because you are, we have the medical care that will provide us with that. That's a great thing. But six months is a very long time to wait for your questions to be answered. I found, I found that, that, and this is something that I'm incredibly proud about with better speech is because I know that feeling of having questions and that panic and not being okay to wait six months also. (laughs) <laughs> with better speech, because we are throughout the U.S., we are we are board certified, as I mentioned, by the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Now, I live in Pennsylvania, but because I am a speech language pathologist, I have the ability to be licensed in as many states as I would like. Now, I have to maintain those licenses, but for me, I am licensed in five states, which means that if you call us up, we can get you matched as early as the next day. And that's a big deal because time is of the essence. And if you're worried that your child has a delay, or if you're worried that something's wrong, six months is a very long time to wait. And that little mind and body are going to keep growing. And it's a big deal. And 
I would love to be able to offer people as much care as fast as we can, because it's so important that we, that we are able to equip people with the tools and the knowledge to know how to communicate with their child, but also to help them grow. That's, yeah. that's what it's all about. We want them growing. We want them strong and, and being able to communicate their wants and their needs. Absolutely. No, definitely. I definitely echo that. Um, especially in our realm, our community of autism, time is very much of the essence, right? Like mm-hmm. you can get your child's services pretty much all throughout their life, right? But the earlier you do intervention, mm-hmm. um, the smoother or the better your results will be later on down the line. And so when I would talk to um, different um, doctors and they like, oh, eight months, nine months, six months. No. <laughs> it's, no. it's tough. Um, let me know first available. Like yeah. I, we will move mountains. And yeah. so put me on the just, call list just in case then. Yeah. yeah. Being diligent like that helps really. a lot. And it so, really does. I know that you guys are virtual. I think what's so great about that, not just with the pandemic, is if you have parents or just caregivers who are working from home, it just allows your child to still continue to get services. And mm-hmm. it allows you to actually be a part of it. I know sometimes when you take your child to a clinic, uh, it's just that therapist and your child, right? And so mm-hmm. they're working really cool things. Your child may be vocalizing with them and then they come home with you and radio silent. Completely, <laughs> right? completely. So especially. Yeah, and, and I love that. I love that you pointed that out because even so, that nurse practitioner, was it a, a nurse practitioner that you had seen? Yes. So mm-hmm. no, they had seen them in a, where that, where your son felt comfortable. He was playing where, yeah. when we're online, you're in your most comfortable environment. Now, if I take you to a clinic or I take you to a doctor's office, I'm now quite literally, that child is going into a very different environment and will not act like their normal self because they don't know what's going on they're going to appropriately be cautious or just kind of all over the map, depending on where they are at that day. They're out of their element. They're in an unfamiliar place, especially now if they're, if we're questioning any type of autism or developmental delay, different sense, different sensory input, different foods that were involved that day. There's way more things that go on. And yeah. And so the fact that she saw that she saw something that in a doctor's office or in an office, they might not have seen because he was acting completely different. And there were probably toys there and he was engaging with them. And he's like, Oh, this is fun. Versus why am I in this random room? Completely, (laughs) completely different. And it's a huge difference. So, um, what signs do you notice? Um, when a child is nonverbal, are there any like specific signs that stick out to you as a speech therapist if a child is nonverbal? Absolutely. So it especially because they, when we say nonverbal, there's there's different perceptions of that. So a lot of the time we'll hear like, my child isn't saying any words. And it's like, okay, well, we the attempt at a word is what we consider a word. So yeah. if they were saying um, you know, if they had a, a pet puppy and they're, they're yeah. pet stuffed animal and they're like, pup, 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 they're working <laughs> to tell you that it's a puppy. That's a great thing. 
Now, if you're noticing that, especially at the very beginning, because language development, they start at their coos and their cries and their blowing bubbles. That is them intentionally communicating. So when people say, oh, no, that's not their cry for food. That's their cry for such and such. It's because that baby wanted you to know this is my cry for food. This is my cry that I want attention. And that's why there's a distinction. That baby learned A, to communicate and to communicate effectively so that they can get what they their want or need is to be fulfilled. That's brilliant. We are designed that way. That's an incredible thing to notice. They're, they're communicating with their babbles and their coos and their laughs. When it starts to come to words, typically what we see is they'll start with their vowels. So you'll hear vowel play. That's a vowel play. And there you'll hear variations. And the reason you're hearing variations is because our language, when we talk, there's variations as we're talking. This is them learning. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing that goes on. And then as they start to, especially when you're talking face-to-face, it's so important to talk face-to-face with your little ones because there's language of your face. That's They're getting facial expressions. They're watching your mouth. They are glued to this communication network that is our face. And when they're engaged, they're also working to, they're looking at your lips and they're going, okay, so they're doing something yep. and they're working <laughs> to organize. So that's why they start to go, mm-hmm. When you've said yummy or mm, yum 3,000 times during a meal, they've caught this. They're watching you and they're watching your face and they're watching so much. So their language typically in typical language development, that's what we see. We start to see that vowel play. We start to see the They're working really, really hard to have those skills start to develop. And they'll go from those. combinations of just that and they'll start to do start to make little noises or they'll start to play and we're having this constant back and forth of modeling when it comes to nonverbal, especially for example let's let's use cubby the adorable (laughs) cutie that he's, he's running around you can hear him playing with his voice he is communicating which is a great thing He's also communicating when he takes you by the hand and goes, mom, come on. And he might not actually say it, but he's pulling you and he's taking you to communicate or to show you that he has a want and a need. So that's really, really a great thing because they, they're saying, I want something. I need somebody to get this for me. That is a communication. And even though it's a nonverbal communication, still really strong communication. I know, um, when we're, when we're working to have our little one really engage in our face, especially for sound. So let's say, you know, when, when we're working, if we're working with Cubby and we're, he, we're trying to help him get a sound, having him face to face. And I love to have their hands come up to my cheeks or to come up to my lips, to come up to my voice box so that they understand, Ooh, something's going on. Tactile. And they're working exactly tactile. So they're working to engage. They're watching, they're listening, they're feeling they're really working to understand what are they doing and how do I do it? And it's a play. It's, and especially the more fun we can make it, the better it will be. Neuroplasticity in the brain is a very real thing. And I love that you pointed out also earlier, start early because brain development is happening. The earlier, the better. 
So um, Ms. Edwards showed us something really cool on a previous call. So when she mentioned the voice box, you would just talk or say different letters and you could feel the vibrations, right? So I was like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm gonna try it with Cubby. And he would look at me and was like, do it again, right? Like he, <laughs> that he kept wanting to see it. And so then when he would make noises, I would be sure to put his hand on his voice box so he could see it as well. And that's become a very interesting thing because he'll do it to strangers and they're not <laughs> sure what's going on. And he's just like, and expecting him to talk. Um, so I think especially with me having a child that is very, very hands-on and just likes to see how things work, that has been so great. Absolutely. They can see it anywhere, except for um, he'll have like a stuffed animal that'll talk. Trying <laughs> to find their voice box and it doesn't necessarily work like that. And so then he's like, yeah, I'm going to play with you anymore. That is um, too cute. So that is, that is something that is super, super awesome. Um, I did want to talk to you about how kids pick up cuss words. It just becomes like a core memory for them and um, why that is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, get, definitely always be careful what you should, what you say. Um Especially because with little ones, when, if they are if they are on the spectrum, they may have what we call echolalia. And it's when they repeat a phrase or a word or a sentence, what they're doing is that they're repeating it. And there sometimes is a great deal of emotion in that or a very happy memory or just something that happened to imprint and they, they captured it and now it's going to go on repeat. So it's definitely important to, um, to to be careful what you say. And then if if a word is coming up or a phrase is coming up that ideally is not one that you would like to to do your best, okay, and move past it or redirect it. The more you say, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that, they're then going to take that target word and possibly then say, don't say that, don't say that. That's a bad word. That's a bad word. So they're going to, you're going to lead that imprint verse. Um, if they, if they're saying one, you can change it to something else. So let's say you said S H I T, you can then lead it to, Oh, and you hear them, you go, Oh, sugar. Oh, <laughs> sugar. And you can actually help reframe it for them. And it might not happen immediately and that's okay. But that way you're helping redirect with something better. And it's not, you're not brushing it under the rug. You're really working to reframe it. Sometimes they do come up with some catchphrases. Sometimes you'll even hear like a, a, a full song or, or a phrase that they heard. You know, when I, I had a little one and they heard something at the laundromat and they heard a theme song from like, just, I think it was Gilligan's Island or something. And it just stuck. It just captured. And so then for the, like the next six months, they were singing this song. And they heard it once, they heard it once. And it's just how they, their brain captures information and, and it's repeat. No, um, Covey loves songs. Like he's so musical. You'll hear him just mm -hmm. about the house, just like kind of creating his own little tunes or um, humming what he's seen on TV. So we're definitely more mindful with that. We have um, one of his grandpas is definitely a sailor at the mouth. So I'm like, yeah, don't say this word. Because the that would be Cubby's like 
second official word. His first word was mama, but like his second official word would be a potty word. And yeah. I feel like he would use it appropriately and mm-hmm. it would just become a core memory. Completely. Um, They're so smart. This with all of our friends that have kids, like mm-hmm. that's how it just sticks. It just seeps in. Yeah. It, it really is. It's quite remarkable. And I love that you had mentioned um, in one of our conversations, you know, they, they learn differently. And the fact that he just learned it differently, it's, it's remarkable. If you really think about it, like, that's an amazing thing. Lucky <laughs> time. Um. And then, you know, something that was just really, that it didn't dawn on me is, you know, you mentioned tone and we talked about how just depending on like your tone and your facial expressions, children will pick up on it and it'll become a memory for them and how that can affect the child emotionally too. Being mindful of what you say, your tone and what you're connecting that word to and how that makes that child feel because we know kind of like, their feelings when they're younger it can definitely manifest and warp and grow into even bigger emotions as they get older and I don't think a lot of times people connect the two yeah it's it's definitely very interesting and we don't necessarily connect it because we really weren't taught a lot of this information we kind of knew it and people just kind of accepted it as that but we as, as we evolve we start to learn more so you know you might hear um a baby will suddenly get upset when they feel that the person closest to them is upset. So when your tone changes and let's say um, you're in a house, there's a two-year-old and, or we'll even go with with one-year-old and you're holding the baby. And as the adult, you're now in a disagreement. They can even be in the crib and start to feel that intensity of what's going on. They're hearing the tone. They know the difference. This is why you comfort your baby with soothing, loving tones and gentleness. It's because there's energy there. It's really carrying through and it carries through at such a deeper level. And you're going to go, oh, my one-year-old doesn't know that I'm upset uh, that I'm fighting about finances. And it's true. Your one-year-old doesn't know you're fighting about finances. Your one-year-old knows that you're upset and is not happy about it because it can, they can feel it. And they're picking up on so much other stuff that we really just don't generally talk about in conversation. No, I I love that. I love the insight that you're bringing to just the the kind of toddler-esque infant preschool stage because that's where we're in right now, my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's I've met parents of older kids who really wish they would have had this level of access right or wish they would have known that they always say like the first child is like the the guinea pig like parents have no idea what they're doing and we're like guessing on the first one and then each child after that kind of gets the better version of the parent (laughs) and it's, it's funny it's funny and it's true enough to be true because as that parent going through it the first time the, and, I, and I say this all the time to any experience, you don't know what you don't know. And that's no. okay. And you learn through experience. We could have a panel of, of parents saying, this is, this is, this is, da, 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 da. 
But until you go through it, until you have that experience, it's not the same. Words don't teach, life experience teaches. And that's why when you get through that first year, you're then in the second year, you're like, ah, I remember, or the second, the second child or whatever the case may be, because you have that experience now, you know what it feels like. (laughs) I am the youngest. And so I just remember my brother would say it all the time, like, she didn't have to go through half the stuff I went through. My mom would say, well, I I learned that wasn't a good idea. So then I'm not going to do it again. Or, um. Firstly, if you, they say, if you um, teach your first child certain things, and then they will automatically teach the second child. Uh, so you have to be really cautious what you teach the first one. That is definitely really true too. That's so funny, especially, so for example, if you have a little one that's, um, you have two kids and now you have one that's really, really verbal and one that's verbal skills are emerging or there's a concern for a delay what we often see is that older child who's really verbal will also start speaking for younger child. And then younger child starts to learn, oh, I have no need to speak. Somebody else is doing this for me. This is lovely. And even if they're working to translate, it's really important to offer the opportunity and even in reframe it for your, the older child and say, you know what, let's give them a chance. Let's see. But you ask the question, let's see if they ask you. And then that way they're, or answering you, you're allowing that younger child, the opportunity to speak versus allowing that first child. No, they want apple juice, not orange juice. He said apple, even though the younger child said nothing. So it's <laughs> hey, definitely they just important. Had a, sibling, a sibling telepathy. I think there's one point in time my brother would speak for me. Just totally. He knew already. And so I didn't have to talk to strangers or anything because he knew. Um, When you were speaking of um, NICU babies, um, with NICU babies, is it just gross motor skills that you're working on or... So, so for, for NICUs, when, for me specifically, I was part of the feeding team. So when you have a baby that's born prematurely, what it's re- what's really important is that they can safely, comfortably suck, swallow, breathe, whether they're getting breast milk or whether they're getting um, bottle fed, whatever the case may be, that coordination is really important. Sometimes they're born with respiratory difficulties and they might not have the capacity to comfortably breathe, do the suck, swallow, breathe rhythm, or they might not have the oral musculature that didn't quite develop if they're premature, they might not have that coordination or that strength to latch, to successfully withdraw, to successfully transfer. And they might have fatigue or in that small space. So you and I, we have pretty long necks. We're adults. Babies have a much shorter space. And (laughs) ideally what's happening is when we swallow it closes off our airway and the liquid, the nutrition moves beyond and we're designed that way. And it moves into the esophagus for little ones. They might not have the strength or there may be some difficulty in that area. So it's really important that we know that they can safely eat from a musculature ability to latch component, but also that it's not going down the wrong pipe and ending up in their lungs. Little ones can develop aspiration pneumonia just as easily as an adult can. No, excuse me, they can develop it 
just like an adult. So if food goes down the wrong way enough times, you can develop aspiration pneumonia. Little ones, especially because that whole area is so small, it's really important that they're able to safely consume nutrition. And if not, what are the ways that we can navigate around it? Do we need to thicken things? Do we need to modify the pace? Do we need to modify the position? Are they having reflux? There's lots of different things going on. So it's really interesting um, that you brought up the sex swallow breathe because it wasn't until I had to walk through this journey with Covey that I realized that speech does not just cover speech. Mm-hmm. It does feeding therapy too. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole world that I was not prepared for because Covey would be a little, a little squirrel and kind of mm-hmm. like, like one side of his mouth. Um, he had a tongue tie at one point. And mm-hmm. so the ENT for them to clip that would just so children need eating yeah. right and eating appropriately to where it's not causing health issues yeah. down the it's not something you think about would be associated with speech but it is completely so a little bit about feeding therapy absolutely so especially because we don't know what we don't know so most of the times in typical developing children you they, their guidelines are oh this is when you start to offer solids this is when you start to offer a little meltables or a little soft pieces of cheese and, and to help with that coordination when it comes, especially when they're, they're leaving food in their cheeks, or if it's not a smooth transition, are they able to completely clear the spoon, clear the food from the spoon? Are they able to effectively transfer it to the back and to safely swallow? Are they moving their tongue back and forth to lateralize the bolus? We don't really think about these. So when you bite into a burger, you're not thinking, oh, let me chew on the right. Let me chew on the left. Let me chew on the right. Let me chew on the left. Let me get into a cohesive bolus. We're not thinking about this. This just happens unconsciously because now we've wired it. Same thing when you walk and chew gum, it's just unconscious. You don't even think about it at this point, but truly there is a lot going on in that situation. So when it comes to feeding therapy, the, when he was leaving stuff in his cheeks, we do, we call it pocketing. That's the official term. <laughs> Um, the unofficial would be leaving stuff in your cheeks, squirreling, chipmunking. Um, those are some of the other things. And what, why that's a concern is because if we keep giving more and more, that pocket is going to then add, add more to it. It's going to keep going, but also it just increases their risk for choking. So when it comes yeah. to feeding therapy, are they actually starting to do this up at first? It's an up and down chew. And then over time, we develop this rotary component. But at first, we don't have those skills, we have to learn them. The best way to learn them is through eating. And that's how it just develops over time, which is why the guidelines are in place of start here, go here, go here. There's a level ones, level twos, level threes. I think that's just so interesting. And then to see that in feeding therapy, they can work on um, your child taking bites of things. I think I've seen Covey take bites of things a handful of times in all his three, almost four years, right? Yeah. Like there are these mini muffins that are about this thing that he loves and he would just take it all. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like you're going to choke. Yeah. And then you're um, like going and chasing it after it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. so um, getting feeding therapy to help him with that and to help him learn to take bites of things or learning that you don't just have to drink an entire juice sippy cup mm-hmm. all of it, right you have to breathe take sips breathe take sips because mm-hmm. it's like 
hold his breath and just drink. (laughs) Very much so. And they don't, again, they don't know what they don't know. So it's a really encourage them and to help once it comes to, to cup drinking versus straw drinking versus spout drinking. There's a lot going on. And are they losing anything as they're drinking? So it really does become quite complex. If you, so little tips, if you notice your child's losing liquid, if you notice that they're leaving food in their cheeks or that they're not having a strong chewing pattern, those are definitely red flags of, let me get in touch with a speech language pathologist and make sure, especially if they're coughing or if they're coughing frequently and having frequent choking episodes, it's a big deal. And it, and it shouldn't necessarily be overlooked as, oh, they were just racing. Okay. They might be, but what else is going on? No, absolutely. And then we would get the, well, that's just how boys eat. Um, no, <laughs> that's not, that's not normal. Yeah. Um, we definitely don't want to act like something serious is not going on because where I could be used to it and know to look out because he would almost kind of like, mm-hmm. like essentially. And um, he would be somewhere else or like with my mom or something. And she's mm-hmm. like, what is going on? I thought something was happening. I was like, yeah, see, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah, I think this has just been so great. We always, always, always love talking to you. Um, right back at you, right? Okay, so I know you've told me, but I would love for you to tell our listeners how to date a speech therapist. <laughs> so, so, um, especially when you, I, as as somebody who's been in the field. If you have concerns that you finally have a speech therapist and thank goodness, and then you're also noticing, you know what, my child doesn't have great rapport or something is amiss, something's missing. I'm not getting a lot of answers to my questions. I'm not getting, getting the care that I had expected or, or anticipated. If you have questions, A, always communicate with your professionals. Now this could be said for physical therapists, physicians, occupational therapists, especially because a lot of us are so wanting to talk and to educate and to share our information. And if you're not experiencing that and you have general concerns of, no, they're giving me one word answers or no, my child just is not getting along with them. Notice that it is a professional thing for you to say, I'm going to look for another speech therapist, or I'm going to look for another physical therapist, or I'm going to look for another person. Now you don't have to say this right away. If you're noticing, you know what, we've been together for six months. I'm not seeing the, I'm not seeing a great rapport being established. Something is amiss. Let me keep going with this speech therapist and let me look for another one. Or let me keep going with this physician and let me look for another one. Because if you're not getting the quality of care that you're seeking, if there isn't a great rapport that you're, you're really know that your kid's great with a lot of other people, but for some reason, that's just isn't happening. That's okay. It is a professional courtesy for you to say, you know what? Thank you so much. I think we're just going to go with another clinician. And if the person says, you know, can I, can I do anything else? Like, obviously have that professional respect, but it's okay to say my one therapist is not my only therapist. And the great thing is, especially when there is a transition. So sometimes there's a transition and you had a great speech therapist and they went to another, they went to another job or another area. 
And now you're getting to another speech therapist. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You may have phenomenal rapport with both. It is entirely possible. The odds are in your favor. Also understand that your new therapist will bring things to the table that your other therapist didn't know or your other therapist didn't see. This is a very good thing because they're offering different perspectives. They're offering different approaches. They're offering different techniques. They're seeing things. They may have a different skill level and they may have an even better skill level. This is a good thing. So I do encourage people that if you don't have the rapport and the connection and the the movement forward that you're desiring to (laughs) seek and date another clinician, it's okay. It really is okay. And I, and the reason I'm saying work with one, look for another, if it's not where you want, because I I don't think it's best to have that six month dropout of, yeah, Yeah. we had one, but we, we, we didn't like them. So we went to look for another one and now we're without services. It's okay to have one and discreetly professionally look for another match. That's completely appropriate. It's just as if you, you went to a school and you're like, you know what, that school just isn't kind of, it's not the fit that I'm looking for. And you go and look for another school. Or if you were dating and you're like, you know what, this is a nice relationship, but it's not long-term go and look for another relationship. It's okay. It is so okay to do that. I think we, we as parents need to hear that because finding services can be really challenging at times. So then when you finally do get a hold of a certain service that's been very difficult to acquire, it's like, oh, I'm kind of stuck now, Mm -hmm. right? I have to ride this wave where I have to make this work when that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily um, the game plan. Mm -hmm. Like I live with the mindset of there's always more where that came from. Ah, abundance, we love it. (laughs) So if you, you know, had a really great speech therapist before, but um, they're no longer a part of your team, another one is coming. Mm-hmm. Another one is coming. Like Absolutely. we met Miss Lenora and she's all the way in Philly. So obviously, uh-huh. <laughs> like, okay. obviously it works. Um, definitely. Then what is it? We are definitely excited to have you back for some more because there, there's just not one episode we can do about <laughs> Right, like you have so many territories and domains, and we have something for everybody, which is just super, super great. And I'm just awesome. so grateful that you reached out. Um, Kevin and I are like obsessed with all the tips and tricks that you've given us. I love um, it. That's awesome. And then one last thing, um, I know I've ran into different people. They've asked me all the time. If you agree to put your child in speech therapist, are you basically condemning them to a life of having speech difficulties or not talking at all? That is a phenomenal and question. I, no. I dispel this. <laughs> no, no. And you know what's so funny is I was gonna say, even if your little one is later developing for language, A, it's never too late. B, you never know what's gonna happen. It's entirely possible that they may simply have a delay of language and you might see it explode when they're six years old. Entirely possible. I'm, and, and I'm not in possibility. There's always a possibility. So always encourage that language development. The other thing is, is if you don't allow them the opportunity to do their best, they, they will have frustration that will increase. 
We are designed to want to communicate. We are designed to want to seek our needs and our wants to be met. We're designed that way. That's a good thing. If we try to suppress it, frustration builds and you will start to see other things, behaviors, because they can't frustrate or, or because they can't express themselves, you'll see that frustration come out or they will get to the point of why even bother? And then they'll go even more inwards. And then you have somebody who really isn't, who is completely disempowered and isn't able to communicate effectively for themselves at all. So I truly, truly support speech therapy services, support <laughs> looking for, for fits that are right for you and, and groups that are right for you, but also look at other, other groups, follow speech pathologists online, follow other parents. The more we can educate ourselves, this is a good thing when we want to gain that knowledge and then actually apply what we learn is truly, truly important. See if it's a great fit for you. This approach that, that somebody tried this random thing that you came across on Instagram reel, I don't know, let's give it a try. And it works. That's great. I learned this on Instagram. Wow. That is using social media to a massive, massive benefit when we can get lost on so many other avenues, but to find techniques and knowledge and information that people are happily out there giving, sharing for free is a great, great thing. So it's never too late and always, always, always keep asking questions and you'll never know where it goes. Absolutely. And then just like, I tell people all the time when they're concerned about Cubby's ability to speak verbally, cause he'll like babble and be really excited and squeal that a lack of lack of verbal communication has does not correlate to his his comprehension and mm-hmm. his intelligence, right Completely. what he knows he's not even communicating i feel like a fourth mm-hmm. of what he actually knows right which is like insane because the moment words do start to flow <laughs> i i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be overwhelmed <laughs> like it's gonna be full that's gonna be our that's gonna be our episode too Oh, absolutely. Once the words start to flow, completely. No, well, thank you so much for making time for us. It's always good to see you and we cannot wait for our next chat. Super excited. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Ray. Bye, Connie. Bye. Bye. Let's see.